Welcome to the Eternal Connection, a radio broadcast ministry of St. Mark Lutheran Church in Omaha, Nebraska. Whether it be through prescribed behaviors, rituals, or practices, every religion in the world teaches that if we desire to know God, it is our responsibility to find Him and know Him. Christianity, however, teaches something very different. Christianity teaches that God has come to us and has revealed His love for us by putting on flesh in Jesus Christ and by giving us His Word through which He continues to speak to us today. We're glad you've joined us as Pastor Jay continues leading us through the Bible in the Gospel of John, right here, right now on The Eternal Connection. And once again, you are eternally connected. Thank you so much for joining us. I pray that you really do believe that, that you are, in fact, connected with your God, your maker, through faith in Jesus Christ and his words that we uh, soak ourselves in here every single Sunday, uh, getting into the word of God, uh, pulling it apart to learn just about how much God loves us and everything he has done to save us. Always enjoy the conversation uh, with you, but also with my friends in the studio, Jason and Chip. How are we doing, guys? Doing great. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Well, it's a big day at St. Mark Lutheran Church today. It sure is. It is Confirmation Sunday. And six uh, young men and women getting confirmed in their faith. We thank God for that gift of faith that they have been given, uh, the true blessing of God. We talked about that a little bit last week. We did. uh, In listening to the sermon. So an exciting day. Uh, The Lord be praised. God bless all of the confirmands uh, that are being confirmed today. And we look forward to the wonderful things God will bring forth in your life through faith in Jesus. Confirmation Sunday. Uh Uh-huh. And... Confirman, um, it seems so easy, and, and yes, I've heard it many times, and I'm sure a lot of people hear it, but talk a little bit about what is confirmation. It pretty much is exactly what it sounds like, is it's confirming these uh, young adults, usually 7th and 8th grade, uh, in what they believe, and by confirming that, we mean uh, a confirming it within the church. Uh, it is really confirming that faith so that they can receive the Lord's Supper for the first time. Unlike baptism, which is clearly commanded to be given to all, even infants, Acts chapter 2, Matthew 28, many other places, Colossians 2, uh, the Lord's Supper is always talked about uh, as being something that you have to take worthily. Right, So it's a sacrament like baptism, but it is something that should be taken with a certain understanding. Uh, not an intellectual understanding, but the understanding that comes through faith, through trust in Jesus and what he has said. So before the church administers the body and blood of Christ, before any young adult comes to receive the forgiveness of Christ from Christ, uh, we make sure, insofar as we're able as humans, to educate them properly and establish that this is, in fact, their faith so that we're cautious not to have them eat or drink judgment on themselves, as it says in 1 Corinthians 11, but rather eat and drink uh, the assurance of their salvation. Um, As the psalmist said, you know, taste and see that the Lord is good and that he comes to us that way. So it's a a public confirmation uh, for the sake of the conscience of the church 
that those we allow to come to the Lord's Supper believe what we believe. And when you come to take that for the first time as a young adult, you stand up in front of the congregation and confirm your faith publicly. So do the the individuals uh, go through some like uh, schooling? Two years. Yep. Two years. Two years uh, suffering through class with Pastor Jay. Uh, <laughs> Every Wednesday night uh, for uh, an hour, hour and a half, depending upon what grade they're in and what we're doing. Uh, usually it's a, um, most of those two years are uh, a review of Bible history, the Bible being familiar with all of that. And then the last half of the second year, year is really focusing in on the sacraments and then particularly the Lord's Supper. And confirmation, it's talked about in the word? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we. It, it doesn't use that English word, but yes, I mean, especially Paul talking to Timothy and everything else. We, we have a lot of scriptures that talk about growing up in the word, graduate from drinking milk to eating meat, getting solid sustenance from the word and maturing in your faith. Yes, that's talked about quite often. Okay. Well, and I can't remember if it's Paul or Peter who talked about the fact that we have the word, the promise more confirmed yeah that's peter right um and he was he was talking about we've seen the glory of god and he was referring back to the mount of transfiguration right saying we we heard the voice of god himself say this is my son with whom i'm well pleased and then peter's talking to the church about the words he's writing and the words they've received from moses and the prophets and saying we have the word of god more fully confirmed right here even more than hearing it, because I heard it and I still didn't believe. Right. <laughs> but as John said in the, the end of his uh, gospel in chapter 20, these things are written so that you would believe. And that's how God comes to us is through that word. And so these young people, as they're hearing God's word, as they're spending time in that word, they, they are seeing the fruit of that confirmation. Yes. So yeah. that's really cool. Uh you know, Jason, that was a great question, and uh, we actually have a listener question today. All right. If, if we want to jump right Our in. Our favorite thing. Absolutely. Keep sending them in. Keep sending them in at eternalconnectionradio.com. So Lori asks, uh, she's referring to a couple weeks ago, we were talking about sin, and uh, you had mentioned that uh, in God's eyes, uh, sin is, there's not levels of sin uh, mm -hmm. in, in terms of we're either sinners or we're not. Mm -hmm. And she had uh, a follow-up question because you had made the comment about consequences being potentially different based mm -hmm. on what the sin was. So Lori wanted to know, do the consequences vary because that's what God differentiates, or are those consequences varied because of man? Is it, is it us that make those consequences different? Mm. Uh, I would say both. Very, very often in Scripture, the answer is yes to an either or, right? Uh, because God creates us in his image. He gives us personhood. We do have that wonderful blessing and curse called free will. <laughs> yes. Um, but as we look in Scripture, we can see both happening, right? We can see someone um, uh, like David, right, who, who would... Gosh, talk about sin, right? Cover up adultery with murder and the heartache and all of that 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 brings. But yet, as God revealed through Nathan, there would be a very real consequence from God 
um, meaning that son was not going to survive. Now, that does not mean that God killed that baby. Right. It very well could mean that the result of that sin, Adam and Bathsheba coming together, there was some defect. The baby just wasn't going to make it. Uh, so sometimes it's not e- easily distinguished. Uh, but but those consequences come because of us. And I think that's the bigger takeaway point. Uh, God will sometimes send snakes into the midst of Israel to have them <laughs> harass the Israelites. That is God bringing a consequence for sin. But even when he does it, it's for the sake of love and grace and bringing to the truth, right? To, to get us to turn around, to stop doing the bad thing. I think in my life, I, I could easily admit that I don't think God had to punish me very much. I usually took care of that really well myself. <laughs> we're, we're very good at that. <laughs> my bad decisions uh, brought bad stuff. And, and it wasn't until God mercifully allowed the consequences of my sin to take full effect, um, maybe not protecting me from some things, to make me realize the foolishness of my way of thinking and the foolishness of my ways and, and truly repent and say, Lord, if I mean, at that time in my life, Lord, you got to save me if I, I'm going to kill myself and right. not because I want to, right? <laughs> right? I mean, I'm on a, I'm on a bad road and I, I need you to help. Well, and it's for the sake of eternal life. Right. God doesn't punish us for our sins. That's what he did to Jesus, right? right? But God will use consequences, and sometimes he will, as Scripture says, discipline his children because he loves them, just like we discipline our own children. So it, it, it's both. The hard part is, is this a, a discipline of God or a consequence of my sin? Um, and I would say that we look to the Word of God and the examples throughout his history to help us distinguish that. Either way, we know that, as Paul says, for those whom love God, he works all things together for good. So the important part isn't necessarily saying, oh, this consequence is from God or this consequence is because of me. Rather, we can turn to God who already punished his son and say, Lord, you can use it, no matter how bad it is, for your glory and my benefit. And that's what I want you to do. Okay. Well, thank you, Lori, for the question. And please, uh, if anybody else has any questions, uh, we love to hear those. We love to answer. Uh, Again, eternalconnectionradio.com. We've got a form you can fill out and send it uh, anonymously, or if you choose to uh, put your name in, you can share that too. All right. So we're looking at John chapter 19, beginning a new chapter here today. Excellent. Um, But before we get into that, Chip, why don't you pray for us? Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy that you gave us through your Son, that we could live eternally with you. Thank you for the confirmands this morning uh, as you were bringing up these young people in your word and that you would, you would continue to be with them and their families and to keep them in that word, uh, that, that word that is their foundation for the rest of their lives and into eternity, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So John chapter 19, starting in verse 1, we're right in the middle of Jesus' trial, a trial that is based in lies and manipulations that we saw from the very beginning. Uh, The Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the scribes, holding court at night, which God's word specifically says not to do, uh, but because even their own conscience bears truth that they are bringing false charges against Jesus because really they're just threatened by his influence on the people. 
Um, they don't understand, and so they react in anger and fear. They also refuse to believe, as we've already established when Jesus confronted Caiaphas and the rest. And after being sent to, to Caiaphas, he's hauled off to Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate can't really find anything wrong with this Jesus. He may think he's a little bit off his rocker, uh, especially concerning his comments. We, we read over the past few weekends about Jesus' kingdom not being of this world, that he is a king. Pilate leaves the discussion with Jesus asking that question, what is truth? goes back out to the Jews and says, I don't find anything wrong with the guy, in verse 38. But they demand uh, Jesus to be crucified. I think Pilate then, in verse 1 of chapter 19, takes a little bit of his frustration out on Jesus. Yes, it appears to be um, so. He, he doesn't know really what to do. This crowd is clearly getting to the boiling point. And Pilate's job is to keep the peace. If nothing else, you keep the peace and keep the, the Jews under the thumb. And so he can tell, if I do nothing with this guy, things are going to get out of hand. They're likely to riot. But I don't find anything wrong with him, and he can't seem to sway them in any direction. They'd rather have Barabbas, a murderer, than Jesus, who has done nothing. So he flogs Jesus, I think, hoping that that will appease the bloodlust of the crowd. It says in verse 2, soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on Jesus' head, arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. I had a couple questions. Sure. This is uh, somewhat of a housekeeping thing that I learned. The titles or the headings, uh -huh. Jesus delivered to be crucified. Um, are those uniform in all Bibles? And and I hear through reading that there's those aren't part of the original word. They're man-made. Correct. Yeah. The, the titles, the subheadings, the chapters, uh, even the verses, those are not part of the original manuscripts. We put those in really for the sake of study, right, to be able to reference things because there's so much material. <laughs> kind of like in a legal document, right, the paragraphs all have numbers sure, on sure. the left-hand side so that we don't have to hunt and peck to, to find stuff. I thought that was uh, just a, a really cool piece of knowledge I wanted to share because I didn't know that to that point. Yeah. Well, uh, if you think about the at a library, you know, I don't know if they still use the Dewey Decimal System. I might be dating myself, but uh, that is a reference. And if you think of the Bible being made up of 66 books, it, it's a very, in a very real sense, a library. Uh -huh. the, the other part that struck me, you were, and this is different, but you read um, verse 2, twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Mm-hmm. The crown of thorns, it's such an iconic picture, even uh, you've seen it, I've seen it more in pictures than I've ever seen it in word before. Mm -hmm. um, did what That crown of thorns, where did it play a role in other parts of uh, that time period or the word or scripture? Is it a punishment? Is it a signify anything? Once again, I would say yes. Um, clearly, uh, what we're seeing here 
And you're going to have a couple of different takes on this from scholastic points of view. So I, I usually try and go to, to history. We have other records of soldiers mocking, mistreating prisoners, um, not necessarily to this degree. Um, do we read in Josephus and some of the other historians um, that the crown of thorns here is meant to do two things, hurt you, which it would have. The, these thorns were not your rose right. rose thorns. These were inches long. Yes. But also to mock Jesus and, and mock the Jews, right? Because he was claiming to be the king of the Jews. And there was true hatred from the Romans to the Jews and the Jews to the Romans. So they're taking this man, this Jewish man who claims to be a king, and, and, and start mocking him and the Jews by dressing him up as a king. The significance of it is, the irony of it is, everything they're saying is true. Everything they're, they're putting on him is more true than they could ever even imagine. That he is the suffering servant king of salvation. That he came not to wear a crown of gold like his disciples and many others would have liked him to. He came to wear a crown of shame. He came to, to be mocked for our sin. He bowing down to him, putting a purple robe of royalty on him. He is the son of God. He is the king. And yet they, they can't see it. But yet, even in the midst of that brutality, the beautiful thing is the truth is being proclaimed. For all who have the ears to hear it, God working through, as we talked about with Lori's question, God working through literally the consequence of our sin. I didn't think about the crown of thorns even being a detail that God would, would, would you know, but it, it's part of the plan. Yeah, Isaiah, you'd be surprised. Uh, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, some of the passion prediction prophecies are very, very specific, including giving Jesus dirty wine to drink, his side being pierced, people gnashing their teeth at him, mocking him, uh, being beaten beyond human recognition. Uh, the fact that that was written 600 to 800 years before Jesus was ever born, there's no other explanation except, as you said, Jason, this is how it had to be. So, we left off at verse 4. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know I find no guilt in him. Now, I have to admit, I've never really understood what Pilate was trying to accomplish by flogging Jesus and then saying, Look, see, there's no guilt in him. <laughs> How is there less guilt in him now that he's beaten to a pulp? then there was less guilt in him from before. What I think is happening is he's trying, like I said, to appease the crowd and saying, look, I've tried to get the truth out of him, and I believe he is telling the truth. There's no, there's no reason to do any more than what has been done. Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Mm -hmm. Flogging was not a pretty thing. Oh, no. It was absolutely brutal torture. Mm -hmm. uh, typically, they would use a multi-tailed whip. Cat of nine tails. Right, with, yep. with uh, bits of metal and, and rocks and different things that were tied to the end to max, maximum carnage is what they were after. Mm -hmm. And quite literally, it would rip someone's skin to shreds. 
Yeah, if you ever watched and were able to get all the way through The Passion of the Christ, pretty darn accurate. Again, as Isaiah prophesied, he was he was beaten beyond recognition, um, and yet still, the Lord carried our cross all the way to the top of Mount Calvary. So Jesus came out in verse five, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, "Behold, the man." When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. <laughs> Again, you see this constant pull and tug, it's hard to conclude, kind of like with Nicodemus, right? Someone that's supposed to be Jesus' enemy mm-hmm. back in John 3, really struggling, whose conscience is, is being broken by Jesus. And what has Jesus really done? What has he said? He hasn't tried to guilt Pilate into anything. It's just Jesus himself So when he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, you see that here in in such amazing detail because Pontius Pilate, if you know anything about his history and who he was as a man, he should not be this torn up over Jesus. He shouldn't be this hesitant. He never hesitated to do far worse than what he's doing now. You don't get to his prefect position, the governor of Rome, uh, by being nice. So what is causing this otherwise brutal man to beg the people that he has enslaved to come to reason? (laughs) I find nothing wrong with him. There's no other explanation except that is true. And Pilate, despite his own lack of understanding, can't come to any other conclusion. Behold the Lamb of God, the sinless, spotless Lamb with whom God is well pleased. I was thinking in John 1 where it says that he was the life and the light of men, mm-hmm. and light scatters darkness. Light reveals all. Yeah, and the darkness has not overcome it. Right. right. And you see that even playing out here. I mean, that's part of the magnificent part of the passion is... You see God working not just on the other end of it, but even through the whole process, right? Even with Simon of Cyrene, the women that are following him that he's preaching to while carrying the cross, God working salvation during the passion of the Christ. And we, Jesus being the high priest for us identifies directly with us because he has gone through it. And Way more than we will. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. When Pilate heard, oh, I'm sorry. Pilate said, take him yourselves and crucify him in verse 6. I don't find anything wrong with the guy. The Jews answered him and said, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. And when Pilate heard this in verse 8, he was even more afraid Now, why would he be even more afraid? Um, It's really hard to think in our own mind that there's something greater than ourselves. Okay, yeah. I mean, Rome believed in gods, right? They had a pantheon of gods. and, And Pilate has clearly been struck by this Jesus. He can't figure him out. 
now he hears this new thing from them that he has claimed to be deity. And you could certainly hear in Pilate's mind at this point, well, if that's true, what am I doing? What, what have I done already? Even if he's not attributing Jesus as the son of God or the other possibility, because we don't know for sure, it, it could have been simply, wow, this, this thing's getting out of hand really, really fast. When Pilate first asked him, why have you brought him here? They said, well, if he didn't do anything wrong, we wouldn't have brought him to you. <laughs> right? And I think the Jews may have been hesitant because they understand the Romans really don't care about their religion. Mm-hmm. Big deal. He claims to be your Messiah. And that's essentially what Pilate said, right? Judge him according to your own law. Well, they clearly see they're making no headway with Pilate. They're, they're no closer to getting this Jesus crucified than they were to begin with. And so now they start to bring out the big guns. He claims to be the son of God. And Pilate could have construed that maybe not only with deity, but if this guy really thinks he's the, the big machismo, if, if Caesar gets a word of this and I've done nothing, now it's my head. Now it's my neck. So he really doesn't even know, I think, what to do. So he entered his headquarters again in verse 9 and said to Jesus, where are you from? <laughs> I, but Jesus gave him no answer. Let me get the map. Right. <laughs> so Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. This is Judas? And the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, those that delivered Jesus over to Pilate. Judas was the start. Yeah, Judas a is part certainly of it. a part of it. Yeah, I think here in the immediate context, he's more referring to the ones outside shouting, crucify, 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 despite the fact that Pilate's sitting there saying, I don't find anything wrong with him. Jesus says, you're not off the hook, right? You, but you're, you're only here because you're allowed to be. Jesus is going to speak the truth, period. Pilate is clearly messed up inside. Yes. He's, he's very conflicted with what's going on. In shambles. I mean, when I read this, I see a guy who's probably pacing back and forth, pulling his hair out, right. maybe not literally, but really being convicted. Well, and because everything's out of his control, clearly. <laughs> right, right. And, and there's consequences for him, mm-hmm. right? And so he's, Jesus is going to answer the question. Now, notice he doesn't answer questions about where he's from. He's not going to play that game. He's already given him that answer. Right, Jesus is going to answer questions according to the Father's plan, and the Father's plan is to have him crucified. Mm-hmm. So he's only going to answer the questions that assure that that happens. And we'll probably have to get more into it next time, but I say that because of what comes next in verse 12. After Pilate heard Jesus say this, John says, from that moment he sought to release Jesus. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And now Pilate is truly put in that position of being faithful to this calling he has as governor, his job to Caesar, if there's a threat to the throne, and this conscience that he has about Jesus. And we're going to
going to see how that all plays out next time. We pray our time together in God's Word has been a blessing to you and to your faith in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior of the world. If you enjoy listening to our program, we would love to hear from you. Go to eternalconnectionradio.com. To find our full episode archive, contact us, let us know you enjoy the show, or ask a question that Pastor Jay will answer on the air. God bless all of you. We look forward to connecting with you again next Sunday on The Eternal Connection.